From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. You know, one of the questions that I had the other day, I was just shopping last night. Used to be I could get four bags for about 100 bucks. Now I'm down to about two, maybe two in a little bit. But it, it, it begs a question, have grocers begun to lower their prices as we head into the fall? Or have we actually just begun to become accustomed to these higher prices. To talk about that and much more, Sylvain Chorlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie, kind enough to join me. Good afternoon, Sylvain. Good afternoon. Well, I, I just want to know, because I keep thinking to myself, maybe I'm getting a deal here, maybe I'm getting a deal there, or maybe I'm just now used to the inflated prices. Is it fair to say that that's, uh, that's what's happening, is I've just made the adjustment, or are food prices actually starting to come down in certain regards? Uh, I mean, we're we're being trained for sure. I mean, uh, it it's like in the early '80s when everything was going up. I mean, the food inflation rate at the time was 15 percent. It's double to what it is today. Hmm. And so, uh, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember that uh, my parents never bought anything at the grocery store if it wasn't on sale. That's full stop. Here, in, right now in Canada, we're dealing with a consumer base that is absolutely getting smarter. And when you get smarter, you have more information. And when you have more information, sticker shockers are less likely because expectations have changed. So it, it depends how you frame your question, I guess. Are we getting accustomed to prices? I think we're getting accustomed to prepare and strategize before showing up at the grocery store instead of just showing up at the grocery store and take everything for granted. Yeah, it's a great way. And you could take that question a couple of different ways. You know, one of the other things as I was starting to research this a little bit earlier today was price matching. I didn't realize it was such a game. Can you maybe break oh, that down absolutely. for the for the common fan and, and the common consumer, what that means and, and how it could actually be advantageous to you? The thing, what I've, what I've learned over the last 18 months as, as, a, as an observer is that I, I actually am convinced now that Canadians have no idea how much power they have as consumers. You have a lot of power. I mean, if you actually find something that's too expensive at the grocery store, you can either do two things. One, walk away and find something else in the same store that is going to be cheaper because you have options, or you price match and with some price matching, you can actually save a lot of money, and you have what you need in your hands all the time, your smartphone. You can do that all the time, and to be honest, every time I've done it myself, grocers will accommodate. It will give you the discount. Uh, you don't really have to fight for it. They don't really argue. They just give it away, so grocers tend to be very good at that. So walk me through that, because I'm one of those guys, if I go to a yard sale and it says five bucks on the sticker, I just pay five bucks. I don't haggle the price down. And I would assume that if I'm in a lineup on a Saturday afternoon at a grocery shop, the last thing I want to do is hold up the line by, you know, getting somebody at the checkout to all of a sudden look through all my coupons and price matching opportunities. But what is the process? If I was just to simplify that down, how do I go up to a grocer and say, hey, by the way, I can find this cheaper elsewhere. Can you price match this for me? Well, so essentially, if you don't want to hold up a line, you do. So you go up and you can either pay 
and wait and then look at your receipts and compare your prices. And if you do find something else that is cheaper or the same item that is cheaper elsewhere, you just go to customer service. And typically at customer service, there's not a whole lot of people unless it's on a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, or you price match uh, and you go to the uh, customer service counter before paying. And then they'll basically give you, uh, you can actually pay there on site and they'll give you a receipt. So there's two ways to go about it. It's a really interesting concept because I always assume the only way that I'm ever going to be able to save is just with a good old-fashioned coupon or by having my, you know, save-on-foods card that allows me to get the cheaper of the two listed prices. But there is, if you're willing to put in a little time and a little elbow grease, opportunities to truly get some savings, no? Absolutely. And and don't forget, if there is a, a mistake on prices, if they advertise a price and it's not the same price at the store... They owe you that product for free at the counter if it's under $10. Which is also something that gets debated a lot depending on where you go. I've had that happen. It was something that was listed at eight ninety nine. dollars um, When it got to the cash register, it was ten forty nine. I said, ah, 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 that's something I should now be getting for free. And they made me earn it. But it is, in fact, a policy, is oh, it not? Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, Basically, yeah. you would see a sign. Uh, so not so. the Retail Council of Canada actually established a, uh, a uh, price uh, authenticity policy. I think that's the name of the policy. And it's actually on their website. Most food retailers adhere to that policy. So uh, be careful out there. And frankly, to be honest, if... If the grocer gives you a hard time uh, before giving you uh, the item for free, I'm not sure I would go back. That's interesting. I I just remember thinking to myself, I said, I think that $10 rule applies here. And it ended up going past two people and the manager finally came over and begrudgingly they gave me the discount. But it was not uh, just one of these things where it was quick because, you know, obviously they've got to change. Did you, did you go back to the same store? You know what? I did. It's a local, it's a local grocer. <laughs> I live in a small town. It is what it is. But you know what? Yeah. Like I said, I'm the guy that if I see it for five bucks, I just pay five bucks. But um, yeah, it's good for the consumer to at least know that that is is there because sometimes they don't update what's into the computer and you don't want to get overcharged for something. So I think it's a great point to bring up. Oh, absolutely. And grocers are very careful when it comes to uh, dealing with complaints or returns or uh, reimbursements because they're, they're always, they will, they will, they're always a tweet away from seeing a a PR disaster Mm -hmm. for them. Uh, I mean, look at what has happened the last 12 months. You just take a picture of, of, of chicken breasts, my goodness, and <laughs> pictures shared a million times. <laughs> so it's just, it's been tough for grocers. So they're, they're very careful when people come up and, and complaining is hard work. Uh, and they know that it's, it takes a lot out of you. It's, it's on Canadian to complain to people. So uh, grocers tend to be a little bit more uh, flexible these days, especially these days. I love it. Sylvan, thank you for the conversation. I do enjoy our conversations every time, and thanks for the insight as well. You take care. Bob for Jill this afternoon. Ben, Leo, Layla, all hanging out as well as we try to bring you the news of the day and get your perspective as well. Don't forget, 604-280-9898 over the course of the afternoon. You hear something you want to talk about, I will always leave a line open for you. You know, a survey survey of Canadians post-secondary students by leisure and education saving specialist Embark reveals that 60% of students have had to cut out necessities 
to make ends meet. We talked about this just before we went to the break. Andrew Lowe is the CEO and president of Enbark. Andrew, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you today? Well, I'm okay, but that's a pretty jarring thing to put out is when you say that uh, three out of five students have actually cut out necessities just to make ends meet. Talk to me about the data and talk to me about what that means. Yeah, and so, um, you know, Embark is Canada's education and savings and planning company, and our objective is to help as many students have access and be comfortable through their journey in post-secondary education. You know, when we, uh, the surveys show that, you know, 88% 88% believe that post-secondary education is really important to them and opens doors for, for them and set them on the right uh, trajectory in life. But 75% uh, nationally of the students say that it's very hard to afford post-secondary education. I would have to quote, in BC, that number is 81%. The national average of 89% of students believe that getting a post-secondary education is expensive. In comparison to BC, 93%. So... Hmm. BC has skewed higher in terms of um, students worrying about expenses and cost of post-secondary education. And I would have to say like this worry, uh, not only have them reduce um, necessities, right? Like uh, having cheaper food, uh, you know, uh, staying in province versus going out of province, but also has impacted their mental health. And a certain percentage have also considered dropping out because they just can't afford it and that the expenses were too stressful. And so we did this survey so that uh, there is, uh, you know, awareness on a national level uh, that saving for post-secondary education as early as possible is incredibly important uh, because you, you can, this can all be avoided. Uh, so at Embark, we, uh, have a pro- we help uh, parents, uh, families get access to the RESP, which is the Registered Education Savings Plan. Uh, and when you contribute, you know, the money gets invested, but we also help um, families get access to the government grants. So the government, up to uh, annually uh, a family contribution of $2,500, they'll contribute another 20% uh, on top of that. So I call that free money. Uh, and all of that can uh, get uh, invested. And if your child is at, just born, age zero, then they have 18 years before they need it for post-secondary education. They have 18 years to build up uh, wealth to, to fund uh, university or college, right? And so this, ta- this will help take away all the worry um, uh, and all the re- no, not having necessities, et cetera, uh, when they have post-secondary education, because the academic is important. You've decided that you want to be educated, you decide you want a better life, set yourself on a better trajectory. And so this is the best, this is the time you need to focus on academics versus worried about finance. You know, one of the things in your report that I found a little alarming, because I think many of us understand that when you go to post-secondary, there is going to be an expense. I don't think anybody is, you know, obtuse enough not to think that there's going to be at least some debt incurred. But one of the stats that came out in your report to me was really surprising that half the students polled, uh, they know they're going to be taken on debt. But after their after their graduation, there was many of them that thought that they would at least be starting with nearly 30000 in debt. That, to me, is a frustrating thing because not many people are afraid to go get an education, but you sure don't want to graduate and then all of a sudden realize the first year or two you're just going to be paying off student loans and debts and, and, and then have a, a deep five-figure number that you got to face. And that's before you think of graduate school and your master's and, and really trying to make yourself a, a viable option to some really cool positions. 30000 plus is a big number for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's right. Um, and we have some figures 
from 2022, the average cost of uh, going to university is about $50,000. Uh, and that doesn't include uh, room and board. So if you're going out of province and you need room and board, that number doubles, right? And so on Embark.ca, we actually have a calculator that can show you how much it will cost to go to school. So let's say your child is born, so age zero. You can go on it and say, hmm, well, what will it cost to go to college in the year 2040? And, um, you know, we have some analytics that could turn that number uh, and, and give you a give you a value. You can also input like how much you think you can pay for food or whether you need room and board or not. And it creates a mini budget for a post-secondary school. Then it works backwards to how much you need to save today, um, right? In order to grow the money through investment, as well as getting the government grants uh, in order to be able to afford uh, that fifty thousand or even a hundred thousand uh, coming out the other side, right? So. You know, it is a daunting debt, and it's very difficult to, to deal with, but it is possible to start, you know, saving. And it's never too late to save and invest, you know, in the RESP mechanism just so that you have enough money for post-secondary I, school. I would imagine, Andrew, that it's a pretty tough conversation to have for families right now. You know, maybe their kids are in grade 7, 8, 9, and they're starting to say, oh, boy, I better start saving now. But when you've got the Bank of Canada rates so high, mortgage payments are so high, the world just seems to be so inflated that I, I really think the only way that you can succeed here is through education, which is, I think, why your company in particular, Embark, is so key because you're going to be the ones that sit down and actually map out a plan that are going to help these families and help these young future students and stars of the world actually make this a reality instead of all of a sudden getting sticker shock in grade 12, realizing that they can't do what they wanted to do. That's right. And, and, it's, never, and it's never too late. And the key to success in life is to have a plan. Anyone will tell you that, right? Uh, and the same thing with post-secondary education, have a plan. If you start early, you can, you can start saving with as little as your coffee money per parent per month. Uh, and that could get you, you know, a university education uh, in the end, right? And so it is important to, to make that plan and build it and to understand what the cost of that you, you're putting in the right amount of money so that there's the right amount uh, that you can afford for a university education you know, when, when the time comes, that, that's really important. And if you're not doing the RESP, you're missing out on the government grant, which I again say it's free money, uh, that could also grow with it. And it grows, that money grows tax-free. The government's giving you 500 for the year. Uh, you, that gets invested, and that grows tax-free. And then when you withdraw it, you, you, know, you can withdraw it on a tax-effective basis, right? Um, and so it's, it's a win-win. It's a no-brainer to do this. Well, I appreciate the conversation, Andrew, and I think there's a lot of good analytic in there, and I think there's a lot of good advice. If people want to find out more, uh, they can obviously go to your website, which is embark.ca, E-M as in Mary, B-A-R-K. Andrew, thank you for your time and your thoughts. Thank you. I love stories like this. I love when we can debunk stereotypes. And there's a a wonderful article that came out at ubc.ca, a study debunking the stereotypes that surround homeless people and their spending habits. I, I love the conversation, but let me go to Dr. Ying Zhao, who's kind enough to join me today, an associate professor of psychology at UBC. Doctor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, let's talk about this, because I thought, as I read through this article, what a great study and what a great indicator that it is not always what we see with our eyes, but it is actually the habits that really don't align with some of our preconceived notions. That's right. I think this study really debunks what we thought was actually not true at the end. So let's talk about this. You gave X amount of people, um, you know, with a homeless situation, 
uh, you know, a set amount of money. Then you gave a quote unquote regular person the same amount of money. And then you sat back and watched how they were going to allocate this money. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, so we gave 50 people in homelessness uh, a one-time cash transfer of $7,500 with another group of 65 people in homelessness who did not get the cash transfer. And we tracked them over one year and literally saw how they spent the money. And um, so that's that's one study. We found that we, you know they spent a lot of money on rent, food, clothes, transit, uh, furniture, used car, for instance. Uh, but when, when we asked people from the general public to predict how these people would spend the money, then the public actually gave them a very different prediction. Mm. They actually think that a homeless person will spend four times the amount on temptation goods, like alcohol and drugs. And yet you found out that that was not the case at all, or at least in a large portion that not- of that. That was not not at all the case. So when you bring up uh, when you bring a report forward like this, is it something where you're like, "This is exactly what we need to hear"? Because public perception and reality can sometimes just be so different. Were you proud to bring this forward? Were, was there something? Because I think that's a pretty significant investment. Fifty people giving them seventy five hundred dollars, but when you see the return on investment, I think it's worth every penny. Oh, absolutely! This is such a worthwhile study to do. We actually track the costs of social services, health, uh, justice services over one year. Uh, this cash transfer generated a $8,277 savings from social services. So there's actually a net savings of over $700 per person per year. So walk me through this, because I think if I'm a taxpayer, my eyebrows just raised and said, wow, not, <laughs> not only... Are, are we seeing, you know, fiscal responsibility for the most part? But it's actually, it could be a government savings as well, could it not? Absolutely. Compared to the status quo, what we're currently doing to address homelessness. So what we found was people moved into stable housing very quickly, within one month after receiving the cash transfer. So what that means is that they spend less time in the shelter, less chance of getting attacked and being in the hospital, less chance to be arrested. Um, so basically, if you calculate all the costs that could happen because you're homeless uh, versus the costs that are saved because now you're stably housed, and that's where we found the cost savings. I find it to be just an incredible you know, study. And the other thing that I think that we need to circle back on here, doctor, is just the stereotype. Because when you mentioned to me that you went and asked people what you assumed that they would be spending their money on, how different was it? So people think that an individual who's homeless will spend about $400 per month on alcohol and drugs after getting the cash transfer. That's their prediction. The reality is... Oh, they only spend about $100 per month. Which is no different than the average Joe buying himself a case of beer or a pack of cigarettes or something that would be normal, you know, quote unquote, right? right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a really, really interesting study. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend people, I'm gonna actually going to tweet the link to your story because I think the report is outstanding. And, and, and the final thoughts for you, okay, we've seen this work and I know that it's small scale. We're talking about 50 people and, and maybe 100 if you wrap everything here together. 
what can we do to try this on a larger scale and how could we actually make something like this a reality? Um, we're actually expanding the project at this moment as we speak. Uh, so we want to be able to help more people across Canada uh, to benefit from the cash transfer. That's number one. Number two is I'm working closely with uh, politicians and policymakers to, to change policy on how to eradicate homelessness. Um, so that's one thing I'm actually working on. I think it's a fantastic study. I, I'm very impressed. I'm Thank so glad you. we had the opportunity to get you on the show today and uh, promise that we'll have more conversations in the future. I'd love to see how your next study you. goes as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.